Good evening and welcome to the Writer's Block. I'm your host, John Ronan, and as you know now, because we are well into our 30th season, I interview poets and other writers about their craft, what they're working on, what they've accomplished, what they might be planning for the future. It's a wider net than that, though. As you know from watching the show, we have had on sculptors, we've had on musicians, we've had on actors. So if you have an idea for someone who might be a good guest for the writer's block, a writer or other brand of artist, watch for our address at the end of the program. We'd be glad to get your suggestions. I also want to remind you that the writer's block and all the other original programming that comes out of Studio 1623 is a product of cable television. You don't get that with DISH. So you stick with us. You stick with the writer's block in Studio 1623. I'm very happy to say tonight we do have a writer, a novelist by the name of Linda Hanley Finnegan. Linda originally hails from Long Island City and from East Meadow, Long Island. Uh, after East Meadow, she went to SUNY State University of New York uh, in Buffalo as an English major and uh, was, when she was a senior, the editor of the school newspaper, The Spectrum. She switched art forms to go to graduate school, however, at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill and was a film major and graduated with a master's degree in communication. So she's got a diversified background. She and her husband Michael moved to Rockport in 1980 and they've uh, centered their lives here on Cape Ann ever since. She is both a novelist and a founder of the Rogers Street Theater here in Gloucester. Linda Finnegan, thank you for being with us. Great to be with you again, John. Uh, I'm going to first start by plugging the novel, Love and War. It's a uh, colorful, long, whoops, wrong camera. It's a colorful uh, cover with an evocative picture of a highway, which is very key to the, to the, to the book. I actually designed that cover. Oh, you did? I did, yeah. <laughs> it's effective. Thank you. It really explains what's going to happen, kind of uh, spiritually and physically. Yes. It's a road novel. Now, I mentioned before we went on, I wanted to ask you where you got the idea to be a writer, because especially because you switched from English to film. Mm. Um, I've been writing my whole life, really. When I was in elementary school, I was the kid who was writing the, student, the class plays for assembly and... Um, just always writing, as, as long as I can remember. I, I was a reader and a writer. Then, after you went to SUNY Buffalo, you switched to film. Was that a conflict, or did one evolve from the other? Um, I wasn't writing that much fiction when I was an undergraduate. I thought I was going to head in a more, uh, journalism field. Um, but then I became interested in documentary film. That was my initial interest to go to uh, Chapel Hill. Once I was there, I had, was went, uh, sort of sucked back into the fiction realm and decided I wanted to be a writer-director. But then I discovered pretty soon that I didn't have the personality to be a Hollywood film director. What, uh, what, what, I, did, what? I didn't have the hustle. 
basically. You know, I, yeah, I don't like raising money. I don't like asking uh. people to do things for me. I'm much more of a solitary person who sits um, scrolling. And well, so I went back. And also with film, I wanted to be in characters' heads um, more than uh, oh. you can sometimes do in film. But now film is so wide open and wonderful. Like, yeah, much more wide open. Yeah. Uh, the silver screen, behind the silver screen is a lot of nuts and bolts yes. that, are, that are no um, fun at all. Yeah, yeah. Writing grants mm -hmm. and other exciting Right, activities. and technical, technical difficulties. I did have a grant to make a film. It was from the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences. You I did? thought, wow, now I'm on my way. It's the Academy. And I had just so many technical problems, including having to dub all of the sound all over in a studio because the, it was out of sync. Um, so anyway, I decided go back <laughs> to the piece of paper and the pencil and I know, I've made a couple little films. Mm -hmm. People say, oh, that's exciting, but 90% of my time is spent writing grant proposals. Yes, Not yeah, exciting. there's so much money you need. So, so now, as, uh, as an adult with a couple degrees behind you, you decided to go back to the writing. And one of the things you've written, I know you've written plays and other, and other prose, is, I can hold it up again, we're going to plug the daylights out of the book, <laughs> Love and War, a novel which has been out for a few years and is available uh, on Amazon and Barnes and Noble. Is it available locally still? Not at the moment. I I, there are no, no copies that I know of in any local bookstores. It came out a couple of years ago, but maybe we'll revive it. Right, maybe I should see. drop off a few more. <laughs> Where uh, did you get the idea for Love and War and without... Any spoilers? The the two principal characters, who are uh, Jack and uh, Molly. Molly. Um, you know, oddly enough, I did start it as a film script uh, way back when, and oh, really? there, were, there were many, many, many more characters, and then it kind of boiled down to these are the two that I'm most interested in. Um, the the '60s were very personal to me, having come of age in that time, and also uh, my experience on the newspaper, just being very involved in what was happening um, in the country and politically, and with the Vietnam War. Uh, many, you know, guys that I knew were concerned about the draft, and it, it really that war, as you know, really shaped everyone's lives yes. in one way or another. If you lived through it, that was um, just a life-changing time. Just for the audience to make it clear, this starts in the 60s. Yes. It follows two characters, Molly and Jack, uh, through until ups and downs. 19, say, yes, uh, ups until, ups yeah. and downs through, through that decade. Right. right. Uh, and uh, the, they, they meet on a highway. Yes. Uh, and that's the significance. One of the significances of of the uh, of uh, the cover, how did that evolve the, from a from a script and the idea of having a lot of characters and to boiling it down to emphasizing the two characters and their their love and also the distraction the distraction the the outside noise and tragedy of a war, how did that evolve? Well, I always wanted to write a novel about the 60s. And I remember when I got to Chapel Hill, walking down the street and going into a bookstore, and I bought, because it, was on, because it was on sale, the New York Times compendium of the 1960s, just their front pages. And 
Um, and that was the basis of where I started my research. Uh, so this was long after the 60s. Yes. Well, it was, this was the early, this was the mid-70s. Yeah. But, so I always, you know, had it in my mind that I really wanted to write about that time and maybe just to make sense of it for myself. Um, so I was, uh, by either luck or fate, I was a witness to very many uh, odd events or um, interesting events of the 60s. I was in the audience at Ed Sullivan Theater, the dress rehearsal for the Beatles, and then saw them a few days later at Carnegie Hall and at Chase Stadium years later. And I was in a jail cell once with Leonard Bernstein's wife protesting the Vietnam War was how we wound up in the jail cell. And next door, Judy Collins was singing a cappella version of Amazing Grace. In the next cell? Yeah. Yeah, I interviewed. So there are, there are demonstrations yes. in here. Yes, right. So I was, um, for a while, I was a press spokesman for um, a, a group that was protesting the war. Um, I interviewed Timothy Leary, which also appears in this book. So anyway, the 60s always were very personal to me and something that I really felt on the front lines of. And also just seeing the way um, lives were altered, damaged, destroyed, um, largely because of the war, also because of drugs and many other factors. Yeah, yeah. I, I, uh, Jack is, uh, I want to be careful what I say because I don't want to, but he's, he's uh, damaged by the war. Yes. Uh, and, and I want to look at some of my notes here. The, the book starts with Molly, and then you alternate through virtually the whole book between Molly and Jack, Molly and Jack, Molly mm -hmm. and Jack. They don't know each other. Right. You wanted them, you wanted to, us to see them meet and slowly, not too slowly, fall in love. Mm-hmm. This kind of a, you know, Romeo and Juliet uh, start, doesn't end as, as Romeo and Juliet end. Why did you want to write a love story as well as about the 60s and war? I don't really know. <laughs> I, uh, that's a good question. I, um, well, you know, love is the motivating impulse of everybody when they're young to some extent. You're looking for love, you're uh, getting yeah. over love, you're hoping. <laughs> All the songs. Hoping for, right. All, it's, yeah. um, and so that seemed like that would be a good hook to uh, base a story on. The parallel lives of two people, and then they meet um, finally, and they do fall in love. Yes. Can you tell us how they meet, or do you think that would be revealing too much? Um, well, Molly, being a child of the 60s, was hitchhiking. <laughs> um, and he, uh, Jack is uh, leaving California and uh, divorce and you know life in turmoil and he picks her up hoping that maybe she could drive for a while because he's getting tired he's been driving for a while and you know she's going to be safe because we've met jack before we know he's a nice guy yeah right, right. <laughs> yeah and he, you mentioned he's divorced already yes. he married someone who was kind of pushed into marriage mm -hmm. and which never happens in real life no. <laughs> uh I, this is a uh, kind of a backwards question you went to suny buffalo is SUNY Buffalo the model for SUNY Oswego? Um, SUNY Canoswego. That's, Can that's my fic Yes, it is. Can SUNY Canoswego is Canoswego, a fictionalized yeah. SUNY Buffalo, yeah. Yeah. 
I thought there had to be some kind of connection there when you mentioned you went to Buffalo. <laughs> they meet on the highway, which kind of reminded me of uh, uh, different different novels in the 60s mm -hmm. and hitting the road. And did you want them always? Did you know they were going to get together and be be fall in love, be lovers? Or were you just discovering them as you went through writing the book? I always knew. And in fact, b because I worked on it for so many years, I had many different versions and revisions. And in one, it begins on their meeting um, on the highway. It does, you know, and it, it, the backstory comes in later, the 60s chapter. So I always knew that they would meet. I think something you just said is very good for our viewers to hear. You were working on this for years. Oh, years and years. And years and years so you didn't just sit down, scribble it one day, and have the outline, and then three <laughs> weeks later had a draft? No, I've had many different drafts. And I had, over the years, I had agents, um, had three different agents for this novel, starting with the first one, who was a wonderful, successful agent, but he was unable to sell it, um, ending with um, uh, Ronald Reagan's daughter, Patty Reagan, wrote a book very similar uh, themed to this, where um, the anti-war daughter of the president, not the Secretary of Defense, as it is in my book, falls in love with um, a Marine who's come back, or a soldier, I don't know if it's a Marine, who's come back from Vietnam. And then my agent said, you know, <laughs> uh. I, I don't think <laughs> Linda Haley Finnegan is going to sell this book now. But even though I had wonderful rejections from editors and major publishing houses, and when we started, um, he was Mary Gordon's agent. He said, yeah, I'm going to send your book to Random House because we had such great luck with Mary. You know, I thought, oh, Mary, <laughs> Linda, <laughs> it's going to happen to me, but it, it didn't. Um, but I could never give up on this book. I just couldn't give up on it. So I kept going back to it and revising oh, it. Is that a, is that a problem uh, or a challenge? Well, it has to be sometimes to, to get yourself revved up and motivated again. And how, how, do, you, how do you do that? Um, you mean after rejection yes. or? Uh, well, fortunately, I'm always working on so many different things, e even to this day, that if one is rejected, I sort of say, okay, well, then I'll concentrate on this for a bit. Um, I don't know. I have the, I've always had this drive to write. I can't explain it. Um, it's, you know, certainly I wouldn't have wanted it <laughs> or willed it, you know, on anybody else because it's caused a lot of... Um, pain and uh, hard work that has not always paid off, except for my own satisfaction, which is worth something. That's, but that's <laughs> something. That's something. Yeah, that's I've something. come to that point now in life that I'm doing this for myself. And that's Are you working on more prose right now? Yeah, well, I've written four, um, three other novels in addition to this. So I've written four novels. I'm currently working on um, a set of interconnected short stories sort of an Olive Kittredge, um, where the characters overlap and it's set in a place very much like Cape Ann. Um, yeah, the, the Olive uh, Kittredge uh, yes. stuff was, was filmed here. But I began these before it was filmed here, so because it always You're takes, ahead me, of your time it takes me so many again, years again. <laughs> to finish anything. So. And so you'll continue to send those out? Yes, I, d I mean, many of them work as standalone stories, so I do send them out to literary journals and uh, back, back on uh, Love and War, you mentioned, so I, this won't be a spoiler, that the, uh, uh, the Secretary of Defense is in here, and he, he happens to be the father 
of Mali. So there, you bring in these, uh, a family conflict, which uh, is a family conflict because of the war outside, imposing itself on the family. Mm -hmm. She's very anti-war, anti-Vietnam, and he is very administrative, administration loyal. And so they go, they butt heads. Mm -hmm. uh, was that something you witnessed in other families or your own or uh, wanted to be a key part of this book? Yes. I mean, I think that that was uh, prevalent at the time. I mean, and in really the cultural divides that still divide this country all date back to then, um, to Vietnam was one of the original cultural divide, you know, before the some of the more social ones. So yes, I, my parents were Republicans. Um, they were in favor of my dad was a Marine. Um, they were very much in favor of the war. But eventually, after many, many years, when the truth finally came out, as it does in Robert McNamara's memoir, where it's, you know, it's, and stated that they knew they were not winning. They knew um, they were just sending more boys to die and women to die, too. I have a friend who was an army nurse who suffered from PTSD and um, yeah, so it was just um, it, it tore families apart. Um, um, my father was a Marine too mm -hmm. and he, he, he never came out and said it was a bad war, but he didn't like it. He said, no, I don't like it, because mm -hmm. he fought in World War II mm -hmm. when it was very, very clear, <laughs> good guys, right. bad guys. Right. And, uh, but he, he didn't, uh, he never bought it all. What do you want your reader to get out of this book without, uh, without saying how it ends? <laughs> I, can't, I can't go too far. What's, what, what would you like people, especially maybe younger people who don't, weren't around in the 60s, mm -hmm. to get out of this book about Molly and Jack? Well, you know, I think you know, over the decades, because of movies and books, the 60s have become sort of a cliche in some ways, you know, the hippies yeah. are a cliche, the <coughs> war protester is a cliche, the troubled Vietnam veteran has become a cliche, but at the time, it, I can't convey enough to live through that time, the, the shock and the heartbreak of, you know, realizing that if you oppose this war, you had to stand up against your government, which was a terribly difficult thing to do for the generation that had grown up in the 50s mm -hmm. where Eisenhower was great and you know the world is just going to be sunshine forever. Um, it, it was, um, I would like people to get a sense of the stakes that were involved then for the men who had to fight and for the people who thought the war was wrong and for the families that were torn apart by it and the lingering, you know, PTSD does not always go away and, and yeah. um. I want to say for me this really did evoke the 60s very very strongly because I, I went through it and although I, I did not serve in the military but it also gets both sides the people who are very legitimately concerned of, about stopping the war and they hate the war and they don't like it. but then also decent people in uniform fighting because they're told to and doing trying to do a good job and being being wrong and being right kind of at the same time mm -hmm. and not having to deal with that. And uh, I think it's fair to say that Jack has some PTSD. Yeah. Uh, 
I think it, it really uh, it captured that. Well, I'm happy to hear that, that you felt that it showed both sides, because I was trying to do that, to, yes, to yes, give yeah, an authentic. It wasn't, it wasn't uh, just a, uh, you know, um, full of anti-war or pro-war uh, cliches. Oh, it, it, it evoked real stress. Uh, oh, I got a note. <laughs> Jack and Molly make it. <laughs> I, I'll, I'll just put that back. Uh, I want to go on to a couple of general topics, but I had my last note is that you thank Mike Perillo. And Mike Perillo had the restaurant on, uh, the on galley. Neck. Yeah, and he used to be a cameraman for this show, is that correct? For yes, the, yeah, for yeah. many years. He, was the one he would tell me that my hair was sticking up uh -huh. and, uh, <laughs> or uh, I had some spot on my shirt. He was, uh, he was r really wonderful. He was a wonderful man. And I, uh, I was really impressed he, when he got cancer. He, I think he only took aspirin. Mm. He didn't want to do a lot of uh, drugs. What are you working on now? Uh, well, as I said, these interconnected stories, which are called Summer People. And I'm also working on um, a few 10-minute plays. I've, for the past two years, I've been fortunate to have a play selected for the Boston Theater Marathon, where uh, they do 50 10-minute plays in 10 hours on a single day. Um, so I'm, the deadline for that is November 15th, so I'm hoping to be able to have something ready to send That's a again. good point uh, to mention that you are one of the founders of the Rogers Street Theater with five others, which is thriving now down on Rogers Street, kind of across the street from uh, uh, the Building, the building Center. Center. Just, yeah. Uh, and uh, it's a wonderful little space. Seats about 50, 55, yeah, really yeah, intimate. Yeah. I can recommend it strongly to everybody who's watching, uh, the Rogers Street Theater. Uh, did that come out of your own writing for drama or way back uh, because of your uh, graduate uh, record, well, graduate school record? Um, it, it began really um, out of the 10-minute uh, playwriting, Linda Robinson's 10-minute playwriting uh, workshop at the Gloucester Writers' Center, there was a, a few women who met through that and uh, became close and shared writing. And when we heard that the theater uh, that existed there um, was about to close, the owner, the man who ran it, was leaving the country and moving on to something else, it seemed a real shame to let a theater space go. So we, together with our partners, um, decided we would try to uh, save the theater and rename it and reinvent it. And it turned out um, it you know, needed to do so a lot of extensive renovations to it, too, and created a lobby which had not been there before and various other things. But yeah, it, it arose out of people, um, local, our love for this basically the short form of playwriting. Uh, that was the group that came to find. Uh, you mean 10 minute plays? Uh, one act plays. One act so. plays half hour long. Yeah. I know I've been there and you're doing a wonderful job and it's really uphill economically I know to start legitimate theater uh, w without budget of hundreds and hundreds of thousands yeah, of dollars. Yeah, well anything in the arts now is uphill. I've, I've had to step back from the theater for some personal reasons but they are um, thriving and I think it fills a niche in the community that um, it's not yes. a professional theater. It's not, you know, right. in competition with right. anybody. Right. It's just. So you, you plan on staying involved to a certain extent uh, as you 
as you can? We'll see what the future holds. I've had some uh, personal reasons that I needed to step back. The future, yes. We'll all see about the future. Right. I want to, we've got a, a few minutes left. I want to ask your advice to people who are watching us who are sitting home and are thinking, I would like to write a short story. I would like to write a 10 minute play. I would like to write a novel. What would you advise them to do in just mm -hmm. a nuts and bolts way? Um, go to a drawer, get out a piece of <laughs> paper and a pencil and sit down and just force yourself to the page and see what comes out. Um, think of a characteristic or a character or somebody you knew in life if you don't want to make up anything and just listen to them talk. Like I find, I, um, I have voices in my head all the time <laughs> of characters. You know, if I just think of a character, I hear them go at it and start having conversations. And for, I, for, for playwriting you're thinking of, or, or fiction and, too? And fiction too, and fiction too. But none of that um, would come to fruition if you don't write it down. If, I mean, the first step is to um, sit there and even if nothing comes um, eventually something will come. So I like the word you use sit down and force yourself. You, you don't think you should just wait around until you right. <laughs> for the muse to yes. tap you yes. and say. <laughs> you don't, you don't no. believe in that school of thought. No. no. But I'm sure that works for some people. Um, for me if I waited for the muse I think I would always have another excuse. Oh it's a nice beach day today. Yeah. <laughs> the novelist Tim O'Brien told me once you have to put in butt time. Yeah, he would write yeah. at whatever just, the day, birthdays, Christmas, yeah. Yeah, to write. Do you write every day? No. <laughs> do you have a schedule like Mondays, no. Wednesdays, Fridays? <laughs> no. When do you no. sit down I, and force I, yourself? I, I used to have a schedule. When I was writing this book, I used to get up at 4.30 in the morning to write before I had to go to work in Boston. Um, I used to be very disciplined. Um, well, we get I'm wiser. Less we get wiser as we get older. Yeah. Uh, well, you, you you do write now. Oh yes. What, yes. How, when, when do you write, and how do you arrange that time? Um. I, it's basically what time I can grab to do. It, it seems like there's always a lot of demand for anybody. There's always demands on your time, so it's just. Um, I get grumpy when I don't. Right, so uh, you know, if I haven't written for a few days, I say, like, "Okay, well, I need to." <laughs> Your sit husband down. says, "Go, go, right. Or sit <laughs> go, down write. go or write something." Yeah. <laughs> so, the big message for anybody who wants to write a novel or write anything is to get to it. Yes. Not think about it. Right. Do like it. if you sit there, um, and even automatic writing, just writing gibberish, you know, just sometimes gets you going. Uh, a friend in my current writers group who advocates um, writing four sentences. Just sit down and write four sentences and oftentimes that will lead to a little short story. Well the poets and, <coughs> and other writers often have lists or they go to websites where there are lists of so-called prompts mm -hmm. and it might be something like the first cat you saw or something like anything and, it might, and you see all these prompts and then one of them will say it will jump out. You said you wrote other novels. Do you have those titles? Uh, yeah, one is The Weight of the Heart, which is about a party boat uh, crash on the Thames. The Weight of the, the Heart. The Weight of the Heart. Um, the other is The Stranger's Tale, which is a uh, New England ghost story. Um, then the most recent one I've written is the, Inherit the Inheritance, which I might wind up calling Afterlife. 
um, the inheritance. The inheritance. It's Are bit. these available? No, they're not published. They're in my drawer. They're coming. They're coming. <laughs> they're coming, right, once the agent contacts me after the show. I just noticed our <laughs> clock came up with zero. Uh, at the, at the, that means we're out of time. Uh, Linda Hanley Finnegan, I want to thank you very much for being on the Writer's Block and sharing your expertise and experience with us. Great to be here, John. I want to thank you for being with us on the Writer's Block as well. If you've learned something about writing from Linda Finnegan, her novel, Live and, Love and War, and also about writing scripts or just making yourself sit down and do it, then the Writer's Block has done its job. Thanks for being with us, and I hope to see you again next week on the Writer's Block. Good night.